Welcome, everyone. We are into episode 58 for Caster Calls with Zombie Grub. I am here with Leaf X Leaf, uh, as I guess I'll be calling you from now on. Um, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about casting and hosting, uh, in particular Rocket League. I know that you're also very much into, what is it, Star Citizen? Am I? Yeah, I'm in a lot yeah. of stuff, but yeah, don't get me started on Star Citizen because it will not, <laughs> that'll be the whole show. Yeah, I saw the very, very uh, passionate about that game. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know very little about, but I did actually take a look at a couple of your videos just out of curiosity. And I was like, oh, it's one of those games. It's like, um, oh, I don't know the other one. Oh, shoot, actually, I brought it up. Can't even think about it. There's but, a, yeah. other ones like Elite Dangerous, No Man's Sky, kind of that big yeah. open world, you know, universe kind of kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the point is, like, it's a lot excited. of... A lot of detail, a lot uh-huh. of uh, information to gather, um, which I would still say is quite different from a lot of esports. Um, now, esports is uh, certainly, it's got its neat little details, and Rocket League can mm-hmm. be, uh, especially like um, perception wise, it can look simple, but all I've ever heard listening to you guys talk about it, casters, listening to people have details about it, listening to people try to cast it and then be told, like, okay, you didn't know what you're doing um <laughs> is that it's a it's actually really complicated so looking uh-huh. forward to getting some of the nitty-gritty uh, as we get into the podcast but we always start off with a bit of background how you actually made it into the esports mm-hmm. world what got you here uh well first off thanks thanks for having me um always like talking rocket league and again a little teaser of star citizen there so but uh uh yeah getting getting into just esports and casting in general was like Oh man, I could give you the long story, the quick story. I'll give you the semi-long story of it. Of uh, it was esports for the longest time too has just been very grassroots. Like a lot of there were, there's no, they're starting to now, there, but there weren't a lot of degrees for it. You can go to school for it. It was just something you had to fall into, had a passion for, and a lot of people just did it. You know, pro bono. It was all out of just their their love for it. Um, thankfully, that's changing. So all the people putting in hard work can can make livings off of it. But uh, for me, it started back, I was doing YouTube just for fun, you know, <clears throat> back in the probably the late uh, 2000s there to just around 2007, 2010. And then uh, I was like, this is fun. I just want to do it as a side thing. And, and eventually uh, going through college, um, I always had a, an affinity for for gaming and, and um, I was always competitive with my friends. And eventually I, I ended up uh, working for a bit in, in my dad's restaurants. And uh, during the NHL uh, lockout, there was um, a guy came to me and said, hey, I was in the States and I was at a bar and I saw they had uh, this had NHL like the game up on the screen and people were watching the computers play each other, just the AI play against each other. And, and they would cheer on their favorite teams. And he's like, there's a place for video games and in these social environments in the bars. I'm like, okay, let me think about this. Let's, let's see what we can do. So I started um, in one of our little banquet halls. I'm like, let's just get some friends together. Let's play video games at the bar. Let's just, just do that for now. Yeah. I had 10, 15 friends come out. It was fun. Good time. But you know, it was a, no one new joined us, even though we had a sign, anybody can come in. They're not going to do that. I'm like, how do we draw people in? So I started figuring out, okay, maybe I run a tournament. Maybe I, I run, um, something to like with a prize in here, you get a gift card to the restaurant or something, you know? And, uh, and that drew some more people out. And, uh, I, I picked smash brothers melee as the game. Cause that was a game I played as a kid, just with my friends. I always got, I always got stomped on. Now I stomp on them because of this, but it was still fun. It was a good party game. Right. So we did uh, smash brothers melee. And then eventually I went down around to some local companies, got actual cash prizes, um, that they wanted to sponsor in. And I, I think it was a hundred dollar prize pool for first place. So it wasn't big. It was a hundred dollars. 
and I, I just posted on like Reddit and stuff. Uh, hey, I'm running this Smash Brothers event. I, I didn't realize there was a heavy competitive scene for it at the time. Uh, and 73, it was 73 people showed up um, as opposed to the 20, 30 we were getting before with the gift cards as prizes. So people are coming in from Toronto, like hour and a half drives to where I was at running these events. And, uh, and it was, it was scuffed. It was not good. I didn't know what I was doing. There was a terrible bracket, terrible format. I had three game cubes to run this on. It was awful, but this community sat down with me and, and told me, Hey, uh, you know, this is how we usually do things. We appreciate you doing this, but this is how we usually do it. So I, I did that. I worked with them, started running more events. So from 2012 to like 2015, I just started running events behind the scenes, like up to like hundreds of people at events and uh, flying in pros from around it. So that it kind of grew that way. But I'm like, I really wanted to get on camera again. You know, I was doing YouTube in the background and, and I'm like, I want to apply this skill set to this new skill set that I have of running events. But I didn't feel like I knew the game well enough to to commentate. I, I felt like I would do it a disservice. So, uh, you know, we mark uh, July 7th, 2015, a game called Rocket League releases and uh, I start playing it and I am hooked instantly. I don't put it down. It, I, like I started playing th- three days after it came out and the uh, the game played a lot, in my opinion, like hockey. And I grew up playing hockey my whole life. So it was, it was, uh, it was cool to see. I'm like, I, I, I get this. I, I understand how this game should be played. I want to help people. How can I do this? So I, I looked around for tournaments that I could play in or commentate. I'm like, this is the game I could maybe commentate at. And uh, so I got into it and I just started doing it. Thankfully, everyone had terrible headset mics. I was the only one with a somewhat decent microphone. So people wanted me on on just grassroots tournaments. You know, there was no official esports scene. I started doing it. Um, I met another guy, Lawler, uh, who ended up casting uh, the RLCS with me. And uh, he uh, we did that for like five months. And then eventually the RLCS got announced. And uh, I had just made enough connections, talked to the right people that people heard my stuff, liked my stuff, and put my name in the hat for casters to get picked out. Um, and then I got a call and all I remember is getting off shift at work and uh, getting a call saying, hey, uh, you made it through. Uh, do, you, uh, do you want to, when could you fly out? And I'm like, well, while I work next week, he's like, can you fly out next Wednesday? I'm like, well, I didn't know I was flying. I thought I was going to be casting from my room. Uh, sure, I'll just tell work I, I won't be able to make it in. And then I told work, I'm like, I'm not coming in next weekend and I don't know if I'm ever coming back. And it turns out I never came back. So that, that's kind of the, there's other details in there too, but that's kind of the condensed long version of, of how I got into doing this just by doing it. That's a lot of what people will say uh-huh. to do, but uh, I still find your path rather unique because you really started off um, not in the game that you're known for, which is a bit unique. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, usually people they're like, I got into this game and I got an esports. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then it's just like it's it's like the same thing for a very very long time. Even if they maybe eventually move on. Um. So that's that's interesting that you got into to not just like melee first. You uh-huh. did some organizational stuff there without, but didn't actually get into the the scene. Yeah. Um. But also that you just you know you just kind of saw video games playing and you're like I should I should organize some things. So it's a very proactive attitude um that we don't usually see because you know organizing stuff is usually like um it's not it's not quarterback worthy you know like yeah. people talk about it people don't know who the producers are like mm-hmm. no one no one is like my aspiration a lot of time anyways yeah. the aspiration is not to do that so it's really cool that you entered in from that 
uh, perspective. Uh, eventually tumbled your way into just, you know, wanting to cast and having a game that you could cast. Uh, and then we got up to uh, to Rocket League. So that's um, still a very cool story. But Rocket League is uh, just a very interesting esport because I, I do feel like having talked to a few of you guys now, you guys, um, <laughs> that there's there's some uh, very like, uh, you know, it's 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 late into the esports game, um, but it's also incredibly unique to the esports game. So 2015 miss out on a lot of the um, bigger esports that we know of now, the biggest esports, but Rocket League's like closing in or even already surpassing them and no one's talking about it. Um but there's so many people that come into Rocket League and they're just like, I had no idea about anything else that was happening, which is pretty rare because usually people have either stories about being before the before times for like 2010 or they come in with StarCraft, CSGO, Dota, League of Legends, like uh-huh. all the things that were popular back then. So um, anyways, it is such a unique esport. I am curious, how, how exactly did this like the, the RLCS really pop up? You know, because you're saying this as if like you, you said it, like you thought it was going to be online. So, yeah. you know, what can you draw us back to that time period and kind of what the expectations were for Rocket League as an esport uh-huh. and why you thought that this wasn't going to be that big of a deal? So I well, I I, I knew it was going to be a big a deal. I guess the, the reason I didn't think that I, I thought I'd be doing it at home is because I didn't have experience in the world yet. I didn't understand what mm-hmm. went into a production like that. I mean, the most entertainment production I had seen as friends that worked in radio and uh and obviously that's a much different environment than than putting together an esports broadcast a live uh entertainment show with cameras and everything moving parts directors and all that and so it's like uh, I didn't realize I just I'm used to casting from home I the the way it kind of started was one of those connections I mentioned I had made his name was Cloudfield Cloudfield was the grandfather of Rocket League esports. He's the one that um, I would sit up every other night talking for six hours straight about the esport, um, about what he should be doing moving forward. He was talking about investing all the rest of his capital. He's like, do you think this is a good idea? Should we do this? Is this esport going to pop off? Is it going to be great? And I I always had the feeling that, no, this is, this is good. This is something so unique. We've never seen a game like this before. People are already creating... We have so many talented people already, like just from, from artists to casters to people putting on production just in the grassroots scene alone that I'm like, this has such an incredible foundation. And then we also heard wind. Of course, I wasn't behind the scenes at Sonic, so I didn't know the exact decision making, but we heard just rumors that Dave Hagewood, uh, the CEO of of Psionics, always had a a, a liking of esports. He always liked the idea of esports. So we knew there was the potential of the Rocket League Championship Series being cemented by first party, by psionics, right? Like they'll take control of this. And um, so Cloud Fuel and a bunch of others just kept at it for those, you know, it was five, six months um, before it was finally decided that something real was going to happen um, from psionics. Because they could have gone the Valve approach too, where they, you know, they don't actually have a hands-on approach to the esport. They just let the community do it and they, you know, they help out here and there, but they don't have full control. But psionics is like, we're going to go the riot route. Let's Let's have control over over this brand, over this esport. And uh, the cool thing is, they brought Cloud Fuel on to to spearhead that that whole project along with Golden Boy. Uh, uh, and uh, he he was in charge of talent. Cloud Fuel's in charge of operations. Let's get this whole thing up and running. And and that was under the banner of of uh, of Twitch. Um, they were helping run the esport during those first three seasons. So it was a. Uh, it was that lead up, that anticipation that we saw it getting big. We saw people getting better, new mechanics being discovered. Like there, there's 
there's potential for this huge. And and then again, when when we heard the rumors that ooh, Psyonix might be wanting to get involved in this, that that just propelled us even more to continue working, continue trying. Uh, let's let's make this a really cool thing. But again, it was I think it was my inexperience with with just production in general that I didn't realize. Oh, this is a fly out to California every weekend kind of thing. It's not. We're going big off the bat. We're not starting from mm-hmm. our bedrooms. We're we're going in with a full studio right away. And I didn't realize that much investment was going to be put into it. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess that makes sense, especially because um, Sionix is just a. It's not a company that's. Uh, had expectations in the esports market. Um, <laughs> they, they they had fifteen employees when they put the game out, right? They they were an <laughs> yeah. indie s- studio. They they yeah, they yeah. worked on making vehicles for Unreal games, right? And and this they had no experience. So having the idea that oh, this tiny company is going to expand so much into their even have their own esports division was just it was so far out that you just didn't even mm-hmm. think of it. And it's an amazing story, uh, esports-wise as well mm-hmm. as uh, development-wise. Uh, certainly unique uh, for our time, uh, anyways. Um, but uh, it, what is fascinating is that it, it was, uh, again, like so brand new and different and small, um, and that it, it kind of it kind of uh, hit a home run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like I, I could really didn't find a whole lot of complaints. And I, I've even heard that they did things that were already very good for esports uh, without a whole lot of like trial and tribulation. There's there's good people hired right off the bat, I suppose. Like you mentioned Golden Boy, mm-hmm. uh, good friends with Gillyweed, and I know she yep. was uh, involved. So it was just amazing to watch someone who was kind of getting, you know, again, all home runs, uh, especially when other esports were not so much. So that's what uh, I wanted to know from, from you. Did you... Watch any other esports while you were waiting for this, this uh, this our LCS call. Did you get involved in the scene that was Twitch at all prior to this? Yeah, so uh, I was I was always kind of up to date at least a little bit with just anything technology, and that includes esports. Obviously, again, I was heavily involved in in Smash Brothers uh, esports scene, um, and then but that was very much a grassroots thing. Nintendo does not. They 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 shut down the stuff the community does. They were mm. not a good first party company to to want to deal with with your esport, and so it was a very different approach, right? There there wasn't that that support from the developer. Um, and then I watched Counter Strike as well. Uh, I, I couldn't really ever get into a lot of the mobas and stuff like um, mm. like Dota and, and League of Legends, but the Counter Strike was another one I got into. I watched a little bit. I mean, Halo back in the day, especially, you know, during the days of Walshie's dominant days, uh, Final Boss, like I watched a lot of that on G4 TV when I was a kid. That was that was before all this esports stuff. So I always had esports being a thing. I knew about StarCraft, but obviously that was a lot bigger um, in Korea than it than it was in, in North America. The West hadn't really adopted esports as much. Halo was like the biggest thing, probably. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, but then you see again Counter Strike popping off, League of Legends popping off everywhere, and um, uh, I just so I knew this was a big thing. I knew that just esports were going to be around to stay, especially again if, if something like StarCraft could be doing it in the '90s, all the way up till till now, and, and Counter Strike, one of the longest running uh, esports as well. So I I uh, I always knew it was there. I always uh, liked the i the idea uh, of it as well. Well, one of the reasons that I, I'm asking this, I, I do have an um, uh, ulterior motive, is that okay. there is, uh, you know, Overwatch League. 
So Overwatch yeah. League came out, um, well, Overwatch, I guess, came out around 2015 with the uh-huh. announcement in 2015. And then Overwatch League, I think, happened in 2017, was it? Um, yeah, it was, so, it, was, uh, it was soon after. It was very soon after because we also were were privy to the the whisperings, kind of the same as you were uh-huh. when it came to you know this like they're going to take control, like it's going to be entirely on them, and that was very exciting initially. Um, but then I don't know, I already started questioning the validity of it when I played the game, and I was like, I don't know if uh-huh. people are going to watch this, but this isn't going to turn into all shutting on Overwatch League. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <The> ulterior <laughs> uh, motive that I had was that um, Overwatch League and its uh problems um did it did it ever like occur to did it ever interfere i guess with this idea of like you know the first party uh owning everything were you ever worried or was it because it was such a grassroots movement and they were hitting it out of the park every single time anyways that you were just like i it's incomparable to overwatch league it's totally different story yeah it's a it's a great question because you the the esports is still trying to figure out what the what the, the best model is right like everyone's mm-hmm. still and and i i looked at more of like okay everyone's going to be experimenting the next 10 15 years is still going to be experiments it's it's companies are going to try this they're going to try that and uh, i personally looked at what overall i remember talking to someone actually at season one of the rlcs and i remember talking to someone specifically i remember where it was it was just beside the stage back there and <laughs> and i was talking about how overwatch and i'm like overwatch is it's gonna fail it's not gonna it's not gonna be good because i, I just the, the way i i saw that they're going in was they they were trying to rush, in my opinion, the grassroots element of it. People, it's a fun game, and I played uh, the hell out of the game. But like I, when it comes to um, first off, spectating very difficult. As some, if you don't know the game, it's very difficult to spectate Overwatch. But I also saw it was just a rush, and I'm like, this is it's too fast. You need to foster that passion, that that mm-hmm. that growth in the esports. Start small, get big. They just went big immediately, which is cool. Um, and again, to me, Rocket League, what they were doing was already big, right? We weren't mm-hmm. casting from home, but it was still much smaller. And to me, that felt safer. It felt like, okay, we're, what's happening right now is Twitch that, that was running operations was they were trying to just throw everything at the wall and then start to see which pieces of it stick and then piece those together to make it. And I would say, in all honesty, Rocket League didn't figure out what it needed to do or to be until season X, which was just you know two years ago, right? Like we just finished season eleven technically, and uh, I think now this is where we found our stride. We know what mm. identity our esports wants, but that was a long time, and that's six years of building an esport. And but I think that's why it worked because you we saw at the beginning and and um, you know there are frustrations I think from every side at the beginning. We should be doing this. We should be doing this. We should be trying this. But a lot of people had a very narrow perspective of okay it needs to happen now we need to do it this year no let's think three four years out and i think that that approach the 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 team members they brought on to sonus esports team had a good grassroots mentality to them that they they were able to foster such an incredible um supportive and experimental environment where we can say hey can we try this yeah let's try that if it fails it fails but you're never going to know unless you try that and i think every esport might need to do that because not there isn't a, a one formula that's going to work for this esport that will work for this esport you have to foster growth through failure but if you just say no we're just going to do this right away here it is with such a huge investment from so many uh so many people that you're almost 
going to force yourself to double down. You're going to get in the sunk cost fallacy that, Mm. well, we can't change it now. We've just invested millions of dollars into doing this millions and millions of dollars. And other people invested millions and millions of dollars. We have to keep doing this way because we have to prove it works. And now you've you've just stunted yourself from growth. So to me, I didn't, a short story here to to sum it up is I didn't, I wasn't worried about failure from another esport because I saw the the steady approach that Psyonix was uh, and Twitch were going to have with it. And eventually Psyonix took over um, after those three seasons. But, and then when they took it on, I'm like, okay, they're happy. They know this is going the right trajectory. But at the beginning, I never, I know I was never worried, but I always kept it in the back of my mind. Like, ah, oh, this is going to last a year, but I'm going to have fun with it. And maybe that helped. Maybe everybody involved having that mentality helped it keep going. Cause we all just thought this was just going to be a fun little thing that wasn't going to last forever, right? There was no expectations that it had to last. Therefore, it could change and grow. That was my follow-up question was, you know, did this give you a lot of comfort believing that you were going to have a job for an extended period of time? (laughs) But uh, apparently not. Like you were just going in it with a, like, I'm just going to do this for a year. Um, So how did that, uh, how did that affect your approach to like learning and growing, right? So um, I don't know how exactly a time frame from you beginning casting to being hired for the RLCS, but you said that you, you didn't do a lot of the, um, the big boy stuff, right? You weren't like at the studios anyway. So there's still a lot of learning at the very least right there. Yeah. So, you know, you're coming in kind of like, all right, well, let's just have fun while we can. Uh, maybe a couple of big names from other esports are coming in to help you out. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was your take on, you know, adapting and growing and how much you really wanted to sink into this esport? Um, did you find yourself hesitating and being like, well, it's just for fun. Like, I'll just, you know, kind of wing it. Or did you actually try to be the best commentator ever and kind of think about that career? Yeah. So I think what, what really helped was that I just in general, I'm a person that loves learning new stuff. I don't care what it is, right? Like there's nothing above or below me in terms of, of what I can be trying to do. Or, or So I, I just love absorbing it because a lot of times you can take skills from here and apply it over here. Maybe get really good at, at talking, my my presence overall is bigger, better, and now I can apply that if I go back to working in restaurants. You know, that's something I can I can use. So, um, it just learning was was really fun, and I think it helped that we we also had a group of casters that were again handpicked by by Golden Boy, um, and I think again he did a really good job. Golden Boy was pushing. He's like, we want let's start with grassroots people. We had a couple established people uh, coming in here and there, but it was it was very much let's get the people that know and love Rocket League because they're going to be the people that drive the most and and probably work the hardest because they care the most about the success of this esport. So good, incredibly good call from Golden Boy, and and uh, also because I got to do this, so that's a little biased here. <laughs> but um, it it was uh, I think that helped because every single one of us ended up being friends. I mean, I, I talk, hang out. And we have incredibly deep conversations about things nowhere near close to esports with each other because we're we're all just really good friends with each other, um, and that helped because there there wasn't ever any toxic environment of of competitiveness. The competitiveness was there, and we all made it clear: I want to be better than you, but I am going to be very happy with your success, and if you're better than me, right? So it was it was a, a healthy growth together that. Um, motivated you to want to work more because you're like, man, that's my friend beside me is so good. I want to get, I love that thing he did. I'm going to see if I can apply that to, to what I do. And then you do that and they'd come to you and say, oh my God, I saw you were doing this thing. I've been trying to figure out the best way for it to work. That's awesome. I'm going to do it. And you go back and forth and you get this, this really, as I said, healthy 
competitive environment between people um, where no one's sneakily trying to be better. Everyone's mm. acknowledging that we're all trying to be better, but also, again, super happy with each other's success. So that that helped want to grow yeah. a lot. This makes a lot of sense, actually, because I had, you know, just I, I mentioned how like it seemed that so many people who are in the Rocket League did not come from established esports backgrounds. And well, that would make sense if Golden uh-huh. Boy was pushing for the uh, the, the grassroots. Um, yeah. That's 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 fantastic. Seems to be a good call. I know there was a couple. So Gilly Weed coming in from Heroes of the Storm as a host initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Axel Toss. Uh, Axel Toss was like Starcraft and then, I don't know, miscellaneous for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So, it, it, you know, there was, that was, even then, you know, they certainly weren't all-stars. And, it, and it, I think it was clear that the um, the broadcast is not looking for all-stars, which is another difference between you guys in Overwatch League, uh-huh. where Overwatch League very much wanted to bring in all-stars to give credibility to their name uh-huh. uh, and, you know, have a, a base expectation of skill level, which is fair enough. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. But it's, it's a different I, approach. Yeah, it is a different approach. Um, but I do think that that type of thing does, uh, you know, encourage maybe a bit of toxicity. Um, I think Heroes of the Storm is actually one of the mm-hmm. first ones that like people were like, it's going to be big, it's going to be this, it's going to be that, it's going to be that. Um, and you had a lot of people jumping in from other esports. But Rocket League kind of just was like, on in this like little like hermit crab shell being like, we're cool, <laughs> we're good. Like, and then like you started to like peek out a little bit and people were like, what was going on over there? Yeah. Um, before you know it, you guys were all established. I think what, what what's cool is that um, Rocket League didn't have any transferable skills. So even bringing over someone that's, you know, a professional in Call of Duty, CSGO, Overwatch, whatever it is, it's not a shooter, right? Mm-hmm. You try to bring someone from from League of Legends, someone from, uh, from Here's a Storm. It's not a MOBA, right? Like the, the transferable skills player-wise as well wasn't there. It was its own thing. Uh, sure. Yeah, and we've had casters come in and do a pretty good job, but it is very surface level, right? Like you can't get into the analysis. It's it's like with any game too, but it's almost longer because you have to like learn, okay, what, how hard is that mechanic to do? How hard is, I, I don't, I can look at any shooter and I could be like, that was a sick flick, right? Like I know that was sick because it, it's a transferable skill from other shooters. Um, but you don't know how hard, you know, that, that musty flick double tap off the backboard is until you go and try and do one of those, even just trying to aerial. So, um, it definitely, uh, it definitely helped. I think that it was so separated because it it almost had to grow on its own. And if you forced in some of those bigger names, um, it just, I feel, I I feel like it would have felt hollow in a way, Mm -hmm. right? Like it would have felt like they're just doing it because like the esports doing it because esports feels like it needs to do it rather than celebrating the game of rocket league nothing against yeah. these other casters you know there's all so many incredibly talented people it's just it it i feel like it had to grow on its own i feel like rocket league becoming successful did open up this whole new um uh, well alongside the development of esports in the, in the ecosystem but still uh this whole new kind of like grab them game type of, of esports uh-huh. commentator and host where they are just willing to do anything and everything. Um, and you know, the more unique a game is, the more that it's likely that they'll be able to, to have a foothold there. Um, uh-huh. because it just, it's not comparable to someone who is dominating in CSGO, you know, like, uh, Valorant was just a natural yeah. go-to, but, um, you know, like the, the, the dodgeball game that's out that I can't remember the name of is like, it's completely unique really. Oh, the, um, Dodge city or something. Something, something like knockout really city. There game. we go. Knockout city. That's one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, people like kind of stirring that up, but it's, I feel like a lot of this did come from rocket league's unexpected success. Uh, and what is still, I, I feel like under, um, 
an underappreciated is not the right word, I suppose, but Rocket League is is you know dominating a lot of the viewership records um, for not like beating CS:GO, I guess, in million. There's a million couple we're not going to pass in yet, but, but. <laughs> but you guys have passed. Uh, surpass many like mainstream esports, and uh-huh. yet it still is kind of like on the the undertow of the of the conversations. Uh-huh. So that's really weird. So where where do you you know see yourself? I guess in the, in the whole of the esports world, is Rocket League just just doing so well by itself, and you find yourself secure in its in its world that you don't really see yourself kind of looking at other esports? Um, or I guess where where are you at right now? Yeah, it's. It's an interesting thing just to give you a perspective on what people, a lot of people in the community feel like. And the, the kind of sentiment is this. We don't need anybody else. We need Rocket League. And and a lot of people, because, and, and not to throw anybody under the bus here or anything, but it um, this will be probably the most drama thing I've, I've ever said in my career, is that it, recently we had some players in the esports awards, but the, it felt almost insulting. Because a lot of the footage they used of our casters, of our players, was like five years old footage. There was mm. there were YouTube videos they used of of me when I, w- I was I was talking about Grand Theft Auto in the video. It had nothing to do with esports, <laughs> and and uh, you know it's not to call out anybody that whoever did that. It just felt like we were an afterthought, and it really drove mm. a lot of us to say, you know what, that's fine, it's cool, we're happy doing what we're going to do, and we're just going to keep doing it. And if they want to bring us in. Let's do it. We're not going to get butt hurt over it, and um, and that's been the mentality I think for the longest longest time is just let's just keep doing our thing, let's just keep having fun with Rocket League. Let's keep celebrating. We're going to keep telling ourselves we have the best esport because we know we have the best esport. And if we keep doing that, we're not going to have to compare ourselves to anyone else. We can just keep doing the best we mm. need to do for our esport, and that's what we've we've said too from psionics to to the casters is whenever we do like a world championship we we don't call it you know we we call it a celebration of rocket league this is the fans the casters everybody that's involved just getting together and watch some awesome rocket league and celebrate the game that's brought so many of us together and that is what it feels like we're just celebrating the thing we like we don't need to, to prove it to anyone. And maybe that, that emanates outwards. It shows like we just keep driving along and people start saying, Oh, they're still going. eh? Oh, they're getting bigger. Maybe I should pay <laughs> attention and maybe they will pay attention, but if they don't pay attention, it, it, I think to us, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter yeah. too much. We're just going to keep doing it for being such a, really a very big esport. I feel like your world championships are 200 K plus, um, consistently. Yeah. I think we peaked um, at 360 this time, which was our record. There you go. That's the um, highest, which is still far off from, you know, after like League of Legends and, and CSGO, but it was well, a record for like, us. You know, League of Legends, North America's not doing so hot, but okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So it, yeah, it, it's still, it, it's, it's a very large number. All right. Like even compare like you, everyone wants to compare themselves to the biggest and best, right? That's the uh-huh. problem with the internet, but um a lot, lot doing fantastic, but it is kind of, it feels kind of insular. And I guess that, um, that is kind of the, uh, it's, it's grown that way. And it's not that it's elitist. Which could very easily happen. I mean, it could happen mm-hmm. with StarCraft. We are all seen as elitists all the time. Um, but you guys, are, you just you're, you're just focusing on your own cool thing. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I love that your drama thing was like um, like a two out of. You know, it always nothing compared. Yeah, it, that's the <laughs> other thing about our scene is like everyone is like even the players as crazy as the as it may seem from the outside. Most of these players are friends with each other behind the scenes. It's super super 
tame or lame, depending on how you look at it, <laughs> with our drama. It's it's almost nothing burgers every single time. Um, and yeah. like our, our biggest drama right now is just a player got kicked, but he found out through someone else that wasn't on his team. Right. And it's like, yeah. that's not someone like, maybe it was just a mistake from the other player that they, they messed up and they're going to learn from it, but it's always just, it's, yeah, it's very tame, We're, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's nice because it's, it's an inviting environment, you know? Yeah. I, I'm just going to bump it up a notch and say that I hate the esports awards. Okay. Fair um, enough. <laughs> they're like, just <laughs> like, it's just out there. Like some, I'm sure, you know, I, uh, absolutely someone is about to write down my name no like no one cares about starcraft so <laughs> like even people who are really working on their crafts quite a bit and i think are excellent commentators if you're not hitting that just kind of right esport i'm not gonna say the most popular esports because they do make sure to nominate people from um well like rocket league like you said mm-hmm. even though you are quite popular but just not in the um the zeitgeist or whatever you know it's a lot of overwatch league it's a lot of call of duty it's a lot mm-hmm. of league of legends and then they're like we'll throw in some fighting games there i guess and it's like okay yeah. but it's not i don't i doubt that this panel of judges actually surveyed <laughs> all of the esports yeah i think i think the the craziest thing the the, the only thing i got out of the esports awards was seeing my name beside those other greats you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, like Chris Puckett and shocks and that, like having my name besides everyone else was like that, That's that cool. was cool. Cause like, I look up to those people and I look up yeah. to how talented they are, but winning it, we, <laughs> one of our casters went on and created his own award show, uh, <laughs> two weeks later, uh, where he just gave out the most ridiculous awards ever because it, you look at any award show, it is, you know, a little bit of a, a circle jerk a lot of times, but I, I think it there there's still for me at least the piece of oh my god my how's my name there even if the rest of it was an afterthought that was cool so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll say I took a little bit of positivity out of it that's why <laughs> that's why I uh, I didn't go full in on them yeah okay I mean it's still it's still awesome to feel that way though because uh-huh. I think that while I I believe that there is a just certain scope uh, that it has uh, that doesn't mean that the people they are nominating are are, are incorrect uh-huh, like I uh-huh. think they're all fast fabulous of what they do fabulous wasn't the word i was thinking of using today but i guess now i use the word fabulous <laughs> yeah, try um, to use a new word so. every day fabulous was today's <laughs> word there you go uh so it's still really awesome but a- anyway so um drawn back into just kind of like hosting and, and casting so you said that you were casting with a lawler for a little bit yeah. uh i did listen to you guys interview um well, I guess he was interviewing you, but it was kind of like a dialogue thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it uh, sounds like that really worked out quite well for you guys. And you were able to, um, I guess, kind of uh, push the casting forward for you, but as well as Rocket League. Because, mm-hmm. you know, so early on into Rocket League's development, I'm sure that most of the casters were literally just trying to decide how to cast Rocket League. Yeah. It, so the, the interesting thing was at the beginning, Lawler and I actually had a hybrid approach because some esports were doing play-by-play color, right? And that that was like the set thing. Here's her back and forth. Um, Lawler and I had a very, it was, yeah, just hybrid. We both did both whenever it felt like it needed to be. And we would take over. It wasn't the same person hyping up a goal every time. And some other casters were doing that. And then we went to the RLCS um, the, just to make sure we were all comfortable and starting in the right spot. Golden Boy suggested, just for now, so we know where we are at the beginning, Let's you do play by play, you do color, figure out how that works. And then we eventually got a good rhythm of everyone figuring out, okay, at this moment, up, uh, this, you know, the during the goal, you have 
two seconds and then drop it for the color because then the color needs to break down that replay. And it happens so fast that you have to end quick. And then the color finishes in time for the next kickoff for play, play by play, calls out the score, calls at the time, gets us back into it, right? So that we we hit a rhythm. But then we, we all felt the same kind of stagnancy of we're like, we want to keep growing, but we can't we can't grow. We've we kind of perfected this thing. Let's what do we do now? So everyone started shifting towards that hybrid thing again. But I think it was important to figure out in worst case scenario, let's get a default. Let's go to this style of casting. But it, it is good. A lot of the casters are are spreading out to the point now that they've almost perfected that. And we're starting to do try casting at at our world championships now. So we have three casters in the booth. And that's been really fun to see because it's so much diversity in in the tone, in the the amount of voices you get on on at once, more people get to be involved with important matches, um, and it's a new skill to try out. So it, it's really fun to see that our esport is still trying to push what we can do as as on screen talent to continue to make it more exciting and and better and grow ourselves. It's really fun. It's fascinating that three casters you know kind of came to be. Um, wasn't something you guys I guess you know initially tried and was like yeah I guess we'll just do that. You like you it's still developing. It's still, uh-huh. um, experimenting. So that's, that's fantastic. But you're also one of the few esports that does bother at all to try and do try casting. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to ask like all my guests, you know, is two the way to go or is there any room for three and, uh, league of legends people would be okay with three, but even then I think they're so preferable to two. Uh-huh. Um, and then everyone else is just like two, 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 two is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so rocket league now also has, I think still, you know, rather unique, um, approach to that so so how does that work for english rocket league commentating because really the only other set in stone three commentator setup that i see is korean uh-huh which um i know why their setup works but i, I want to know how rocket league setup works so uh, i will say it, it'll be better to ask some of the other guys that have more experience with now because i hadn't been doing some of the lands recently where we were really pushing into that uh, i've been desk hosting for the most part but um, I've done TriCast online. That was interesting. That's extra difficult. And I think part of the reason that we wanted to just add some extra info here is uh, or context is I think part of the reason we want to try three is once we got back to doing in-person events, the team had gotten so good at dealing with the limitations of online broadcasting that it felt like we had been training like we we Goku with <laughs> like, like Goku the weights. With weights. Yeah. <laughs> like we had been training like that. All of a sudden we took the weights off at, at a live event or like we can do whatever. This is so freeing. And uh the uh, I, I think the that was just a um part of the the push to do the threes. But how it works is like I, I think what's good about Rocket League, and we have to be real, compared to League of Legends. It's a lot simpler, right? There are there are yeah. less things to theory craft about. We do a good job at filling when we have to. I'm just very surprised. Um, and imagine filling for 15 minutes on Rocket League and not repeating the same things. That was that was hard. Season seven, and uh, but what what's good with three people is that you you can have uh, an approach to what should have happened there in between a break or even during. Um, during a game, what should have happened there? And someone else could come in with a, a, another unique, there's more chances for unique perspectives on the same thing, mm-hmm. um, which I think helps as, as a viewer, just make it more um, uh, attention grabbing. Like you're just, there's always something new happening. You don't, mm-hmm. it doesn't get monotonous. It doesn't get boring. Um, and it, there, there really is, I know initially there was a setup, basically you would have your go-to play-by-play. There was the guy the, that was like, okay, if there's ever a 
jam up in communication or we're all confused what to do, this person takes the lead. So there's always the fallback of this is the lead. This is the person that will take control. And it's usually just whoever's, you know, was doing the play by play. Everyone, as I said, we're all pretty in agreement of who does what things best. So we're usually uh, able to say, no, you take lead. You're, you're the person for lead. And, um, and from there on out, I know they've experimented with different patterns of, okay, person uh, A talks, person B talks, person A talks, person C talks, person A talks, person B. And you rotate out the other two around one person. So it's a back and forth. Now, I know a lot of times in live events, because you're live, you can just point. And like, if you see someone about wanting to, they, they might like have their hands like wanting to say something, you can quickly end your thing, point and let them go, right? So that... that um, Nonverbal communication, the physical communication helps a lot when it comes to making sure things are handed off and trans transitions yeah. uh, properly. I, I I don't know exactly what they tried again because I wasn't there for the worlds this time. Um, but uh, I do. Uh, that was I know initially how they were approaching a lot of the the tri casting. It's still fascinating to hear, uh, even like a kind of outside perspective on it. Uh, just because I wouldn't. I don't know. I, I did listen to some of the finals, but yeah. uh, a lot of it still goes over my head, even though it's just, you know, cars. And, you Fair. Know, I mean, I got comic commentary. And this is the big thing to remember as a commentator. You are there to generate a story or an atmosphere that people, half the people don't listen to what you're saying. They just want <laughs> yeah. to know how you're feeling and to, mm-hmm. to share that feeling. It's like when you, when you watch like the Japanese game shows and they'll have uh, the person's <laughs> face in the bottom corner of the audience, right? You, it's, it, it helps to know someone else's, is also enjoying this moment. And so when a caster is, uh, uh, you, you feel that rise and ebb and flow with them. And, and that's mostly what you're doing is generating an atmosphere. Yeah, which I think they did great jobs with. Um, I, I could follow the main, like, you know, uh, the drama, I suppose, you know, what was going uh-huh. to be difficult and what was supposed to happen versus not supposed to happen. But when it came to tri-cast hearing, I couldn't really, you know, I, I even had trouble maybe like actually distinguishing who was who just because i'm not fair familiar enough. with yeah, it right enough, so i can't i can't analyze it personally and i can't analyze korean commentators either i just i just know from talking to other people throughout uh-huh. starcraft's history kind of like it is kind of more like color play by play ish and then like a host basically yeah which is uh quite fascinating um but it, just, it doesn't seem to be really uh that appealing to other people and it's also kind of funny that you would have rocket league which i would say is a very action-packed video game be the one to yeah, do right. that. So I know you're talking about, you know, occasional problems trying to fill space, but, you know, StarCraft and, and MOBAs, you know, we all, we share the problem of having a lot of downtime, you yeah. know, like a little bit before the first gank happens, a little bit, you know, the leveling of the lanes, like setups mm-hmm. that don't actually end up doing anything. So it's, it's fascinating to hear that Rocket League is the one that's kind of pushing this forward. I've... Um, but I think the we you talked about not ma- having any monotony uh-huh. um, in that aspect. It's kind of it makes a lot of sense because a lot of commentating, as you said, is getting the feelings across. But I I also would say that commentating is just trying to be original all the yeah. time yeah. <laughs> and like trying to be different. You know the way you pace things, the way that your tone uh-huh. is, the the words that you use. And a third caster would do that naturally. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, the way I look at it is kind of like the 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 meta that pushes like YouTube videos right now. When you look at any popular big YouTube creator, Mr. Beast, Veritasium, any of these channels, what they've done is they, the first 10 seconds, I want you to go in and watch any of these, these videos, um, and count how many camera cuts or elements they put on the screen in that time. I can guarantee you in the first five to 10 seconds, you're already going to see 20 to 30 cuts 
it's insane how fast it is because it, it it doesn't let your brain get away. It keeps you attentive. Yeah. It keeps you into it because there's too much stimuli to leave it. And I think the same thing can happen with um with uh with tricasting is that with so much variety, it's just an extra stimuli. You know, you have the visual, fast-paced gameplay. Now you're also having multiple voices again, as you said, as long as they're unique enough, if you can't tell a difference, it doesn't mean anything, but, um, the, I think that can also help just amp up some of the excitement for, we don't always do tri casting. It's usually just for these larger, um, more exciting and more important, uh, games and, and events. But I think there, there's an element of it psychologically that, that keeps you into it. That just feels more exciting as a result yeah. of it, especially during boring games. Let's be real. Grand finals, <laughs> G2 kind of pooped the bed on that one. And it was not a very exciting grand finals um, for, for Worlds. BDS just rolled over them. And the casters had to work with what they had. Having three people, I think, help can can reduce the fatigue of two people trying to get through a terrible series. I'm sure you've casted a series mm -hmm. that's just like, I don't want to watch this. But you have to make it exciting, right? We, we used to have games with the meta was a hour and a half long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nothing happened during it. Uh, it's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think what also is really important, though, is that when it works, it works really. It sounds really cool when it works. Um, so I'm thinking of like Pacific Rim, the like the the triplets that were yeah. like Chinese triplets that were yep. manning that's a, a one what a Jaeger whatever. Um, so I just like that. That's cool. Right. But then on the other hand, I've you know, we do the opposite. We do tri cast when it's super stupidly casual. Like people are drinking. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's like a pro gamer that doesn't think, know how to speak. Again, I think the 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 affinity for us to to be attracted to that is like because we're all friends, we want to hang out and talk about right. So I feel like the part of the drive, as I mentioned, was we wanted to continue to grow as casters, throw us as many challenges as possible. Let's do, screw it. Let's do ten people talking. Let's see if we can do it right. And a lot of the times, I think uh, we just want to do it to see if it's even possible. Maybe it's terrible. Maybe it's not good. Maybe eventually we realize two people is better than three. But for now, it's fun to see where we can bring and push it and learn. But also we do like to hang out and just just talk. So I think maybe a piece of it comes from that. Sure. Why not? Uh, right. it's, it's, it's really, it sounds wholesome. I, I'm very happy that it just sounds like Rocket League as a whole is just, it's, it's soaked in all of the good elements of esports and was, you know, wise enough to hire people that could say, what, what were the bad elements? Let's fix yeah. those. So, um, you know, experimenting consistently is, is I think really important. Something that uh, certainly my esport is, is lacking right now, but, um, going back to your, developments uh you start off as a commentator as many do because mm -hmm. hosting online events is usually pretty awkward uh but eventually you got more known as the host mm -hmm. uh you did more hosting work right so how did that development happen and how did you uh take that challenge yeah so so yeah so as as commentary um just uh just doing it having fun and uh eventually a local company was a trying to do their own G4 thing because G4 was no more at that time. And, and uh, now they're back, but the, they wanted to do like a Canadian version of that, like a variety gaming show. And I'm like, okay, sure. So they, they hit me up. They asked me if I wanted to do it. I'm like, this sounds fun. Like I can, I can try new things, learn new things. And it was great because like coming into commentary and, and doing, working with production was exciting in itself for me because as I said, I didn't realize how much went into a production 
for, for an esports show. I didn't realize how many jobs, how many people with all these different skills. And I'm like, that was eye opening. It was exciting. I got to learn all this stuff. Now I'm going to jump into something else. This is a, a live to tape show. We're not doing it live to air. This is, we can re-record stuff. We can, what's the process for that? What's it like writing scripts, all this stuff. So to, to me, that was a chance to learn, to grow more. So I did that show for a bit. And then uh, one of the people working at, at Psyonix, uh, had seen me doing that. And, and they're like, Hey, we want to, would you be interested in trying out doing hosting? We like the atmosphere because as a host, your job is just to, at least what I've learned is to first off, set up the atmosphere for everyone else on the desk. Your job is to get them talking. Your job is to make sure it's just, it's just, what does the desk feel like? And, and the host can drive a lot of that, that vibe, you know, do you, st- do, do we start in with real serious talk? Do I come in and make fun of one of the commentators so that they make fun of me back? And now it's a light, hard atmosphere. And uh, so I guess they liked the vibe I brought. So they asked me to come on. And I initially actually was, I was on the fence. I actually, I'm like, oh, do I want to do this? I love commentating. Like I love casting over these matches to be a part of the match, to be in there screaming. Cause I, I do that anyways, but having people hear my screams as, as a, a sick goal goes in, I want to be a part of that. And and I was worried. Uh, so I actually asked Golden Boy too. I, I DM'd them. I said, hey, you know, I've been offered this opportunity. What should I do? Do you think it's a good idea? And he said, well, you're always going to have more opportunities as a host. So that's a, that's a plus. Um, and uh, and just, again, more more skills that, that you can learn that you can go back and commentate. And so I talked to Psyonix about, you know, what, what were my options? You know, if I do this, don't like it. If I do this, I'm not good at it. Am I suddenly just getting fired? Can I go back to casting? Like what, what are the options? And it, it just seemed like a safe option to, continue to try to expand my skill set because I had done the hosting in a live to tape environment now in a studio where you can mess up to one where you can't mess up. I can't mess up the sponsor reads. I can't, you know, I, these throws, I mess up plenty of throws. Um, <laughs> they're so hard at the sometimes, but the, um, the, uh, it was, I realized, you know what, this is, it's very scary for me. I'm getting anxiety about doing this, but maybe that's the exact reason I should do this. So uh, that, fear of it eventually pushed me to do it because I knew if I didn't, I'm going to become a boomer that doesn't want to change its ways. I'm going to get stuck <laughs> in doing what I'm doing. So I, I had to do it. And that, that was kind of the growth is that I got experience from doing this other show. They liked it, pulled me in. I was pretty stiff and terrible at first. And I'm probably, I still think I'm really not the best out there at all. Um, that's why I seen my name up by other stuff. Like that doesn't make sense, but cool. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is cool looking back. I can I have to look back and Say okay, what what am I doing now compared to then? Oh, that is better. How do I keep doing that though? So it was it was worth doing it, but that was that was my growth into it. Mm. That sounds like that you'd be very proud of taking that challenge. I'm uh, glad I did. Is yeah, big step, especially when it's not exactly super slow dripped in. Mm-hmm. You know, you had one kind of unofficial thing, but then right into official thing is is a uh-huh. lot. It is a lot. Um, and it sounds like you had a right mentor, Golden Boy, being yeah one of the best in the industry at a uh-huh. lot of things. Uh. And then also that you were able to communicate with the people that were hiring you is honestly a huge difference. Cause I do think that there's, there's hosts out there who will say a hundred percent that they've been pigeonholed, that they just are hired as hosts and they'll say, can I cast? And they're like, sure. One day. So, and then of course the inevitable fear that if you say no one time in the hopes that they might consider you as a caster, they just are like, okay, so see you later forever. Bye. Um, So that's very important that the communication lines were open. Uh, is, is I guess what I'm getting at. Again, quite jealous of the Rocket League scene. 
Um, so, you know, you're talking about how maybe your first, uh, hosting, uh, official hosting gig, if you will, was maybe not the, the best. Um, did you ask for any particular feedback afterwards or particular advice leading into it that you remember really helped you? Uh, I couldn't say specifics. I definitely would ask people. And, and again, as I mentioned, we have a pretty open atmosphere when it comes to in our green room after we used to have a, we'd have a circle, just our own talent post more, but we would say, okay, here's, here's some things I think I did good today, guys. Here's the thing I, I think I did bad. And then everyone else would go through theirs. And then we would say, Hey, by the way, you know, I did this thing earlier and then you did this and it felt really weird to me. Well, how do you feel about that? Can we switch that up? Like, and then we would, we would then break our criticisms for each other. We'd so you give an opportunity to get your own out of the way. And then everyone else can can uh, get into them. And uh, so that really helped at the beginning for me feel a lot more comfortable because, um, you know, uh, casters would would then tell me, hey, I liked it when you did this. So that helped me get direction on where I need needed to go. Um, and sometimes I would just have to ask people, hey, you know, I'd wh- why am I up there? What, is there something specific I like? Uh, you know, do you? Uh, something I, I did that you didn't like. And I, I would just have to ask those questions basically. And I actually started what I, something I do now, instead of taking notes on, um, on the games as, as much as you did as a commentator, I actually take notes on the other casters, jokes they like, um, things they like, teams they like to talk about. And that helped me because we did a lot of improv together, you know, the yes ands and, and build each other up. And I wanted to hand things to people that they could then build on. I didn't want to hand them something that they really didn't want to talk about. So that was a big thing I learned just by, um, uh, I think, I guess, I guess just ask again, I guess the answer is I just asked and we talked to each other <laughs> and it, it helps that we have a supportive environment and we're, we know we're blessed because we've heard horror stories from other esports that don't get as long with each other as, as well, the talent in that. So, um, yeah. we're blessed. That's for sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of other esports that have, I mean, at the very least one person. Um, I think Starcraft's pretty blessed as well when you get to our age. <laughs> there's oh my God. only so many assholes left, basically. We're, yeah. um, <laughs> our age, we're in the grave soon. Uh, so yeah, it sounds like, uh, again, the open atmosphere is really important, but then also it seemed to be a natural eagerness to learn and adapt was really important too. Because if you guys had just came in and said that you guys liked what you did in the first year and then was like, we're great, don't worry about it, um, you guys might still be considered very novice. Instead, uh-huh. you're considered very much on the um, cutting edge of, of esports, professionalism, production, all the all the good things. So that's just awesome to hear. Um, so you know, I guess my next question would come to, uh, you know, how do you set up, uh, you you mentioned the emotions that you kind of bring in as a host and how important Mm -hmm. that is. Do you do any setup prior to that? So you're taking those notes on, on the casters enjoying jokes. And I think rocket league is the type of esport that changes the commentators to the analyst desk every so often, like swap. Okay. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. To a degree. Um, so do you, you know, go in with that focus in mind that you're going to make this like a uh, jovial versus serious. Does it change on the say, stage of the tournaments uh-huh. or does it change on the tone of the commentators? Yeah, no, uh, we always look at like, okay, what's our, what's our macro here and what's our, our micro, you know, even, even at looking at the beginning of a tournament, as you, as you mentioned, is, is going to be a little more fun. We'll open up with, you know, a pre-show that has some games on a questions, uh, poke fun of each other. Let's get, let's get laughing going. Let's get excited. Let's, we try to create segments that, that will, will pit each other against each other. We, we initially, we would do 
um, like predictions, and then we would keep track of the predictions. But because inherently we're all competitive, it got so competitive that we all just kept making the same <laughs> predictions, right? Because we all we all knew who which team was going to win, and it just wasn't fun uh, anymore. Yeah. So we got to the point where we realized this is a uh, this is entertainment. We need to throw the the egos out the window uh, in terms of our competitiveness. Um, and sometimes someone will will make a you know a prediction or a pick that makes no sense really, but they'll come up with some sort of spiel of like I believe for no good reason this or or because they the, you know they they they're coming off of a, a hot streak through the lower bracket. They're going to, but it, it was, you know, you're grasping at straws here, but it, it helped create a little tension. It helped, you know, make it not as, as boring and monotonous. Um, and uh, I totally forget where I was going to, my ADHD got the better of me here, where I was going with this, <laughs> but uh, um, the, I don't, I don't remember. I was going with this. Choosing when to make it happy and go lucky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, so I, I, uh, uh, so it depends. Yeah. Are we at the beginning of this? Can we have more fun? Did is something huge about to happen for a player that takes focus because the players are what we're here for. We're here to build their stories. So once we get into the point where their stories are coming down to the wire, it's, you know, win this, go home, um, uh, win this, win worlds. That's when what us having fun, out the window now that's that doesn't matter anymore we have to focus on the importance of this story so it does shift as as it goes along also even in in just like again the um individual series is like okay game one it doesn't need to be as intense unless it's already ramps up and gets crazy um but let's ramp up even that series alone but always remember where the hype levels were left off coming from throughout the rest of the tournament so game one on a semi uh um, like a semifinals will be a little more hype than a game one of group stage, right? Even though it's the same series length, this one's still further along, a little more important, but you still don't want it to be full blast. So being aware of those things um, is always important for the casters. Where should our energy level be, levels be at? Where are the stories right now? Um, and then if, you know, if, uh, if there are no crazy stories, then we go back to trying to make sure the atmosphere is light and, and fun with each other. Um, but yeah, it, it, that, that all changes to set that up is when the camera comes back from break, welcome back to the Rocket League Championship. We just got off this crazy story. We can't believe we just witnessed this. There's a series. We're going into mm -hmm. player stories immediately. And if I'm like, okay, we're early on, let's have fun. We just get off that series and Gibbs is wrong again. You know, now I'm directing attention at, at them. All right, let's have fun for a bit. And that's now everyone on the desk knows where we're going with this. Uh, do you communicate these intentions to your uh, panelists not, prior to it? Not always, to be honest. So I've talked about doing this to them. So they're aware that this is what, you know, what happens or what we should be. So I always tell people, if there's something we need to do during this, hey, we're going to do this. Can we do this? I want to tell this story. You want to tell this story? Let's get this. Guys, we're going to make sure that during the spot, I'll set them up. Make sure we leave, we leave them room. We got five minutes. He needs three, something, right? So we, we definitely have some preparation when it comes to... Um, uh, you know, like a scripting certain moments, but um, I try to let it be natural. I don't want people overthinking a lot, right? So I'll I'll try to just direct it that way. And if they take it another direction, that's on them. But then I'll try to bring it back. I'll I'll try to corral them in. But I want everything to be as natural as possible. I don't want feel people feeling like, oh, I have to make a joke here. I have to be funny because then you're not going to yeah. be funny, right? Um, so I, in the moments, for the most part. No, I'm, I just do it and people will go that way. People will, 
easy to manipulate people. Uh, no, just if people will go the route, they'll, they'll go that, that, that atmosphere if, if you start it off that way. Again, I'm glad you brought that up that some people like, you know, they're going to be uncomfortable kind of being forced to make the joke, uh-huh. right? The two guys on the desk are being really jokey and fun and the third guy is kind of more serious and just mm-hmm. not able to adapt basically. And I feel like the, a big role of the host is not, you know, it's to make everyone comfortable. It's to make the audience comfortable and it's to make your mm-hmm. panelists comfortable and even to an extent to the production comfortable so they know they can they can trust you and not yeah. screw things up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so how do you work around some of those conundrums? Because even though you guys have worked a lot together and it's a whole big family and that's that's amazing. I'm sure there's still times where as a host, you've been like tone. Yeah. Like, <laughs> different tone. And you're like, okay. Uh, would you say that you were kind of naturally adept at maneuvering these social situations or you had to kind of think on this and you know, say, what, what do I do in these situations? Yeah. I, I would say if there's any, any skills that I, I would, I, I just, cause I still think again, compared to all these guys are so talented that like, I often question myself being like, how am I here still? Like it, when you get surrounded by talented people, it's hard to realize where you're at. Um, and you get desensitized to it. But one thing I would say that generally came naturally was, was just being able to flow with any social situation. I guess just relatively empathetic to people. I understand when someone says something that came off wrong, I can understand what their intent was and the what they meant to say. And if I don't, I'll, I'll say, hey, you want to clarify on that for a second? You know, but like uh, I'll try to um, be in their head and f- try to understand as best as possible. There's always... You know, I'm never going to guess all the time, but I always try to figure out where they're going and help them get there. Cause I've just, yeah, just, it's like a sixth sense sometimes of, of being able to, to, to feel where the energy is going to move. Yeah. Well, so much of hosting in my experience and more that I realized that I picked up on other people doing it is really getting people out of, of a tricky spot. So again, no one looks uh-huh. awkward. No one yeah. feels uncomfortable because of it. So if someone is like failing on a joke, you know, actually one of the worst things you could do is just be like, okay, moving on. You know, usually the oh, we, appropriate we, we, response would probably just be like, you're fucking failing. Yeah, we lean into it. You. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, they, they just move on from it. Uh, but even when they're like grasping at the correct um, analogy, like that was... Mm-hmm coincidental but that works <laughs> yeah. correct analogy the correct words that you're able to to jump in there so um with that kind of description as a host i, I, I assume you kind of agree to an extent um how much has casting really helped you do you believe into into becoming the host that you are do you find that when you're commentating a lot and just talking a lot i suppose that you're better at hosting and doing other things with people or is hosting kind of one of those things that you just kind of like take a breath and get into the right mood for. I think the, uh, every single one of the jobs has transferable skills to each other. Um, mm-hmm. whether it's a hundred percent of them, 10% of them, there's always something to, to bring. One thing that I think really helped, um, with, from commentating first was you, you have one person to rely on. You guys are a team and you're there to make sure, excuse me, that you both succeed at this thing. And I've, I've had moments where I've done that ADHD thing. And this was actually a big thing for me, um, where I would, I would hit that and I would, I would panic. You, you're starting a conversation. You realized you just, you didn't hear a single thing that other person said. You've been staring straight at the screen for so long that, uh, you just, you look away and you almost feel like you're in a dreamlike state. Like it, 
it's panic and, and you forget what you're saying. And, um, I've had those moments and I've seen other people have those moments and working together to wreck. I think everyone, all the people on the team are really good at recognizing these moments that they can pull out, pull people out and, and bring the attention to them. All you need sometimes is a moment to breathe, think, get caught up, reset and say, Whoa, that was weird. What are you saying? All right, let's talk. Or just it, my thing was just admitting, where was I? What was I talking about again? You know, like that helped me not go over the edge on panicking, but having mm. one other person when you're commentating um, help pull you out is incredibly important. You have to have someone that's looking out for your best interests as well. Um, if you have another commentator working beside you that wants to take your job or move up a ladder, that's when you get to the point where the, it, it just, it's, it's not fun to commentate because everyone's, you feel like everyone else is out to get you. But I've always felt like people can help me and I've been helped. I've helped people uh, on the desk. It's great because there's more people to help out. Um, and one of the scariest things ever is stage hosting. That that was one of the most nerve wracking things in my life because mm -hmm. you're alone. At the, you have no one to lean back on um, except the audience if they're really good. I had a panic moment when I first went on stage hosting my first every time, but the audience was so loud and cheering that mm -hmm. I let them do it. And I, that gave me the moment to breathe. But yeah, having someone to, to do that um, and knowing I have those people is one of those skills I brought to the desk. I know I have people here to help me out um, and it's going to be okay. So yeah, that's one of those skills to, to be able to get out of it, is having people to help you. The skill is letting people help you, I guess. <laughs> sure, yeah. I also think that a, a, a takeaway uh, nugget of wisdom there was also like, if you are the type of person who's going to get lost in your own thoughts, again, embracing it is often better than just trying to hide it. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's even a bit of a quirk that people like. Maybe some people don't like, of course, but <laughs> a lot of people are going to find to be very you is, you know, to have a moment where you just go like, wait, what was I saying? And they're going to be like, oh, it's like me. <laughs> uh. um, so, it you know, it, it can work out even when it seems like it's not like the correct thing. Um, it can it can actually work out really fine. Yeah. Just uh, trying to, to get comfortable with the audience and, and everyone around you. So that no one feels uneasy, uh, yeah. which I think is going to be incredibly difficult at stage hosting. I really applaud you moving on to that stage because I do think commentating and then desk hosting is like there's still a lot there. As you said, you can work off of people you've already worked mm -hmm. with. It's fine. But stage hosting, uh, when how did that come to be? They, they couldn't find any stage hosts for yeah, Rocket so, League or do you ask? Yeah, no. So the what had, had happened was season four, I... I uh, I didn't have a visa to the work in the US because I'm Canadian. And um, the uh, so I didn't work season four, right? So I was out um, for uh, the live, uh, well, actually all of, uh, almost all of season four because I couldn't fly to Cali either. And um, so almost all of season five had also gone by because we were doing two seasons a year. And, um, and then eventually I got my visa in time for Worlds um, in London. And they had, Sionics came to me and said, hey, we're not going to tell anyone. We'll tell none of the casters. We're going to fly you out. Do you want a stage host? Because we have all the other roles filled right now. But do you want a stage host? Let's bring you out as a surprise. And I think that added to the nervousness because nobody knew until the moment I walked <laughs> on stage that I was even there. Um, so that that was... Uh, that, that was intense. But that that's what how it came to be. And then they they had me do season six as well, but I was also doing commentary during the regular season uh, at that point. But it, oh, it was terrifying. Uh, and I applaud anybody that gets up and does stage hosting. Um, I just hope 
to God, you have a good audience with you because that audience is just as much of that broadcast team as you, as you are when they can support you like that. They got up and started cheering my name because they didn't know I was there. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, they actually want me here. Okay, well, I can do this. Let's, <laughs> let's do this. And, and, yeah. and that helped me get over that. And that was the big realization that, you know, I can get out of this. Take a moment to breathe. You don't have to rush through everything. You don't have to always be talking. I know I talk mm. a lot. Let me slow it down a bit. <laughs> And f- from that experience, and I think uh, you did other stage hosting, maybe not that much, but um, yeah, a little bit here and there. There was a, the, uh, the um, tr- Toronto Defiant like launch party in Toronto. I did something um, with huh. uh, Marissa Roberto. Um, I didn't really do much. It was like we were up there for like five ten minutes. But <laughs> it was it was like that was about it. And then I stage host again season six. Um, okay. And uh, and I used to. I, th- I think it helped. I also did when I was toing. I was also essentially the stage host for, for melee event. I would get out and be like, huh. these players are up next or like, here's the prize, you know, congratulations. So I do a little bit of it, uh-huh. but I always got nervous doing it, but not the insane amount of experience. I have more experience hosting and casting for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I guess still, you know, what would uh, your advice be to those who are also being dragged into stage hosting or want to give it a shot and transition from all the other jobs? Would you, uh, what would your advice be? Watch Golden Boy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) if if you want to get up and try it, the biggest thing is, and this probably goes with, with hosting too. Uh, I found have a plan of topics you want to cover, but don't script it. Maybe for you. So maybe some people really need it to be scripted Mm. and, and teach their own. Everybody's different, but I found that scripting stuff for myself, if you trip up and the inevitability is you're going to screw up. Nobody's perfect. Um, if you trip up, it could be hard to recover that if if you had a cadence and a rhythm that you told yourself you have to hit. Um, and actually, G- Gilly helped me with this one. Is 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 she said? I w- she said what I want you to do is is go and the night before or a few nights before, think about what you want to talk about, but just walk around the room and start saying it like you're like you're doing it on stage right now. And uh, but d- d- don't script it. Just just start saying it. Have ideas of what to talk about. That helped me whenever I was talking about you know the bracket behind me on on the big screen. Instead of trying to look like today we ha- oh yeah we have this matchup later. I knew a matchup I wanted to watch, so that way I could look at the camera the whole time. And be like look at that matchup later. That's going to be sick. I can't wait to see these teams on there. And it, it's so much more. You look more confident when you're not looking constantly back at at the screen to help you. And and yeah, she told me, just take the thing you want to say, have a topic, go over it in your, in your head, walk around, say it a few times. But if you do that, you'll be good the next day because you already know what you want to talk about. If it's said a little different, who cares? But you're going to get the, the point, the meat of, of the the uh, the point and the topic is is, is there. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that'd be my advice to pass on from, from her is just have an idea of, of what, you want know the subject matter, but don't you don't have to script it. So go out there and say it. If if you know the subject matter, trust yourself. You know it. You're going to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good advice. Um, I think she did say something along those lines when I interviewed her way back in the beginning of this, uh, oh, yeah. this podcast. Um, so that that lines up, and I think I did actually even use it kind of to help me in my first uh, foray into into uh-huh. hosting, which is kind of funny because I I remember having heard it from her and then being like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try and like do something and, and see how script writing basically goes for me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Scripting, it was terrible. I hated it. <laughs> I had this whole thing like- in mind. And then just was like, okay, that didn't really work out. Let me try again, like to a lesser degree and a lesser degree and a lesser degree. And so now it's like, it. <laughs> yeah, now I just wing it every single time, yeah, every yeah. single time. 
like you said, some people are different. Some people need the strip, script. But I do think that uh, basically the difference can be feeling like a host is leading the production and the show uh, versus the show and production leading the host, mm-hmm. uh, which tends to also take away some of that, uh, again, comfort, but just kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like familiarity. Like yeah. you're a part of the group. You're you feel, hanging out you with friends. You can feel like you're ostracized if you feel like you're not really having yes. a, a say in how the show is running. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the more like it, it almost attaches the host um, in, in a bad way when it's you know scripted or they uh-huh. they don't they have to look at the props or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Every so, single time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, excellent advice. I think to end on, so we have reached the uh, hour plus mark. So thank you so much for giving. Uh, us your time and your insights and all the details about Rocket League. Where are you going to be? I know Rocket League championships just happened. So what's in the future yeah. for you? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, my thing is I'm just trying to, again, keep my skills up with storytelling, uh, with uh, just making YouTube videos and stuff and, and streaming and that, keeping a part of the community, I'm trying to not suck at Rocket League. Um, and uh, the, the next thing mainly will be after a couple of friends' weddings coming up, I'll be uh, doing the RLCS again. Um when we start up the the new season. So uh, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of the gist of it. I'm basically, I'm a lazy gamer for the next couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> there are worse lives. <laughs> yeah, a, I can't complain too much. Yeah, that's awesome. All, all right. Well, cool. We'll look forward to the next season of RLCS. When does that actually start? Like you said, two seasons a year. So, uh, well, no, we do one season a year now. Uh, oh, okay. And I can't okay. tell you when that starts because they haven't said. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, it's like a weird time to start up a second season. It's like the latter half no, of we're, 2022. But we're we're kind of hockey schedule kind of situation over gotcha. the crossover okay. of the new year thing. Well, no NDA is broken here, but looking forward <laughs> to whenever it does start. Um, watching some more Rocket League. So, yeah. Uh, thank you guys for watching out there in podcast land or YouTube land, wherever you guys are. Uh, thank you to everyone who supports the Patreon, patreon.com slash zombiegrub. Thank you to Shane for co-producing, Barrett for reaching out and helping with everything related to the podcast, and to the people who go above and beyond in their support, Nick, Vinny, Stephen, E.T., Ravi, and Cuddle Bunny. Thank you guys very much for keeping this podcast chugging along, interviewing all great people like Leaf here, and uh, of course, our next guest as well, which I believe is going to be Chobra. So that's quite exciting. So I look forward to seeing you guys back here for episode 59. Bye.